0: Welcome to the Wharton podcast edition of Wharton Moneyball. We're going to talk to Mike Petriello. Uh, Mike works with MLB.com. We're going to talk to him about all the ways that analytics have changed baseball. The rule changes now that everyone seems to love. And all of the surprises in baseball, especially the fact that maybe salary is not quite the predictor of team success like it's been in the past. So stay with us and listen to our podcast here on Wharton Moneyball. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School... This is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio.
1: Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball Sports Analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Kate Massey hosting this week with my longtime collaborators, Eric Bradlow and Audie Weiner. Our fourth Shane Jensen is out and about. He will be back in the future. Mike Petriello is joining us. Mike is a writer and stats analyst at MLB.com. Sounds like he's got a broader portfolio than just that. We'll hear more, but he's got some terrific work up. You can read writing about um, advanced analytics in baseball, among other matters. Mike previously worked for ESPN, Fan graphs and we're delighted to have him on Wharton Moneyball for the first time. Mike, afternoon to you. Hey, guys. How are you doing? We're well. We're well. Appreciate you making time for us. Um, these guys always want to talk baseball. This is a time of year where it is... Uh, players, they're giving us plenty to talk about. It seems like it's been a terrific year, even to the, the distant observers like myself. It seems like it's been a terrific year. Of the many storylines, Mike, we've got some that you've been re- writing about. But of the many storylines people have been talking about this year, what's your favorite? What's your favorite theme of the 2023 season so far? The fact-
2: Yeah, the fact that it's a normal season is the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, think about the last couple of years, right? 2020 was interrupted by COVID and 21 to some extent. Labor issues sort of threatened whether there was going to be a season last year. And then this year, it's the first time there's a normal season since 2019. And even that's not necessarily normal in the sense that there's new rule changes, which everyone was excited about. And man, those have exceeded everyone's wildest expectations, right? Pitch timer's been fantastic, the shift rules have been fine, whatever. But uh, to have a season, where there's no interruptions and no concerns and a new rule that everybody likes. Like I cannot remember uh, the last time everyone's been this happy.
1: Everything's good in baseball. And that's true. What about the, the, the pennant races? Do we still call them pennant races, even though there are umpteen divisions? Is that still a thing?
2: You I mean, still got to get into the playoffs. I think it's been cool because if you look at who's leading the divisions, um, it's not necessarily what you might have expected. I say, I think it's been cool because I'm not a Mets fan and I'm not a Yankees fan. <laughs> so I can say that. But hey, listen, well, it's good like for you're
1: From You're from New Jersey and you're neither a Mets nor Yankees fan.
2: Really? No, I'm am oh. a I'm a Dodgers fan. Um, everybody wants to know how a kid from New Jersey became a Dodgers fan. So I'll tell you briefly in the eighties when I was a kid, the Yankees were God awful. And uh, when I was seven, I was on the Dodgers and T-ball and that was the year Kirk Gibson hit the home run and they won the world series. And all these years later, still a Dodgers fan.
1: That that works. That works. Um, All right. So not being a Mets fan, you're okay with how things are going down so far this year.
2: I think it's good for baseball when there are unexpected stories, right? Going into the season, if you looked at the National League, pretty much everybody said, well, the six teams that made the playoffs last year all look really good, and it's hard to pick against any of them, (laughs) all the while knowing you were never going to get an exact repeat, right? And I remember looking at it and saying, well, the Diamondbacks are kind of interesting, but I don't know if I buy into them. The Giants are kind of interesting. I don't know if I buy into them. And then all of a sudden you have, I mean, the Reds may or may not make the playoffs, but they're an incredibly good story, right? The Diamondbacks have been really good in the American League, Baltimore looks unbelievable. You know, Texas has exceeded expectations. It's not the teams we thought it would be. It's not necessarily the markets you would look to if you want the best ratings because uh, the Yankees and Mets both kind of stink, but it's been good for baseball to have different players, different teams, different
1: cities in the mix. Mm-hmm. Can, can you share with... Eric, I think I'm holding off Eric a little bit, but just staying at the high level for a second in major storylines. I was enjoying the Padres' kind of rise to competitive status with the Dodgers. And, you know, Dodgers have been such such a great program for a while now. Padres kind of challenging them. It's kind of an underdog story, even though they're throwing a lot of money at it. And then they just kind of don't show up this year. What's the explanation for what the Padre performance is?
2: Oh, if I had an answer to that, I'd be running the Padres right now i don't think anybody and nobody knows some people want to say well it's chemistry to me the pitching seemed fine the bats just haven't quite been there like bogart's has been okay they haven't had a lot of depth i think the construction was always a little bit weird like they tried to make an entire team out of shortstops which has worked to some extent the defense has been good tatis has been a very good outfielder uh to me if you look at the mets and padres they're the two most disappointing teams right and it's different to me because I feel like the Mets sort of are showing us who they really are, whereas I keep feeling like the Padres have this run in
1: them, and we just haven't seen it yet. Okay, all right, we'll hold out some hope yet,
0: Eric. I was just going to ask you, uh, Mike. Do you think that you know? There's obviously been a, a strong historical relationship, and even still today, between team payroll and wins. Obviously, do you think that analytics will weaken? that relationship? I mean, obviously we can make up stories like the Tampa Bay Rays and obviously the homage to our show, War- no, Oakland A's and Morton and Moneyball. But do you think that's a pattern we might see? Like maybe it's not just about what you spend. Maybe it's about spending wisely. Maybe it's about your analytics organization and the ROI of your dollars. Do you think that's that's something that we're going to see going forward in baseball?
2: Well, I think that's always been true. Um, that's not necessarily a new thing. It's never been just about what you spent, right? The Rays aren't just good this year. You can go back to obviously much smaller dollar amounts, but you know, back in the 90s, the Mets would spend a lot and they were never any good, right? So there's never been a one-to-one relationship between it. What having the, the deepest payroll allows you to do I means two things, right? You can keep your stars. I know Clayton Kershaw is a homegrown Dodger, but obviously they've had to keep paying him many times over the years to retain him. And uh, it it gives you some wiggle room if things don't go well. You know, if you are a lower budget team and you put a lot of money into a free agent and that free agent doesn't work out, you're kind of toast. Whereas, you know, if you are the Dodgers, for example, and you sign someone and it doesn't work out, you can swallow it and move on. Um, I will say people are going to look at the Mets and Padres this year and they're going to say, hey, they spent all this money and it didn't work out money doesn't get you there. And they will say that while completely ignoring the Texas Rangers, who spent unbelievable amounts of money on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and John Gray and all of these guys. And I know DeGrom got hurt, uh, but they are leading the American League West in large part because they rebuilt their entire organization with great big gobs of money.
1: (laughs) It reminds me, college football is never far from my brain. It reminds me of the The argument that you how much talent matters in college football. And there's this this idea of a blue chip ratio. And the idea is you the blue chips are four and five star recruits. Show like the top 150 players in the country or so. Blue, the five stars are like top 30. The idea is that you don't win a championship unless half of your players, half of your recruits are blue chip. And these days you really need to be north of like 60, 70% to be competitive. And the the thing is that matters a lot. And it's not perfectly deterministic. So it's just probably, it gives you room for error. I love the way you talk about that. It gives you room for error, Mike.
0: Eric. Yeah, Mike, I was going a related, like, yeah. playoff-like question. So I think with very high probability, the entire AL East will be above 500. And I think with, I mean, right now the Yankees are at the bottom and they're five games above 500. Um, and I think there's a reasonable chance, we're only a game away from it, where the entire AL Central will be below 500. Now, of course, somebody has to make the playoffs from the AL Central. I'm always just interested in asking people if, I don't know, let's call it the Minnesota Twins end up playing the Toronto Blue Jays or the Rays or the Orioles or whoever it is in the playoffs. Like, let's even say they only win 75 games, 77 games. Are they 60 40 dogs, 70 30 dogs? How big do you see it? Let's say one of those teams wins 95 games, 95 faces 78 in the playoffs. What are you thinking? Or it doesn't matter. It's just who's got the best starting pitching at the time of the series.
2: I'm still holding out hope there will be a rule change that the American League Central doesn't have to send a team to the playoffs. <laughs> and maybe we'll avoid that. And listen, it, the first round, um, you know, it was like best of three, right? Anything can happen. We've seen this how many times over the years? Because at that point, it's not so much about the depth of your team. Nobody cares that your fifth starter is. Nobody cares that you have a rookie as your fourth starter. If you have two top aces, any team in baseball can win two out of three. So if you're asking me to put a number on it, yeah, I don't know, 65, 35 at like the extremes. But there's there's never guarantees. You get one hot pitcher and you win a game right there and all of a sudden everything's changed.
1: Yeah, right. All right, Mike, let's talk about some of the work that you've published lately because you are putting up interesting articles on MLB.com. Before we do that, give us an instance of your your portfolio of work. You're not just writing. What else are you doing? And kind of what is the mission? What is your mission there at MLB.com?
2: For sure. So I am a writer. Um, I'm also a stats analyst. And primarily I work on the StatCast team uh, that creates and manages stats for baseball savant which is the S clearinghouse all of our stats go up there. So I work with Tom Tango who's you know legendary baseball analyst for decades, uh, Dana Bennett who you know does all the front end work, all the really cool visuals, Jason Bernard, a couple other people on our team. And what we do is we try to take all of this uh, incredibly dense data that's mostly Tom's job. And we figure out what can we do with it? How do we make it, you know, consumable by the general public? How do we turn it into a metric that means anything? You know, for example, the, the next thing that's coming is uh, tracking of the bat, which we've never had before. We could never be able to tell you who swings the, the bat the hardest uh you know, at a line drive angle or whatever. So that'd be the next thing. And we'll figure out how do we present that? We can't just dump spreadsheets onto the internet. We need visuals and leaderboards and all this stuff. So I spent a great deal of my time uh, doing that. I write when I can. We do a weekly podcast. I talk to broadcasters a lot. Like I was riding the subway this morning, and I kept feeling my phone buzz in my pocket. And I looked at it, and I had three different broadcasters asking me a question about some kind of stat they wanted to use tonight. Which oh, is cool. Terrific. Like every day is different. And well, that, uh, there's on that, that
1: point, Mike, on that point, we've we've talked with people in production before, and they've talked about how the broadcasters can be an impediment to getting analytics across. You got to have the broadcasters on your side. Really, and they have to be fluent and interested, enthusiastic, or else you're never gonna get across what you're what you could potentially get across.
2: I think that's hundred percent true. There are thirty local booths and a handful of national shows, and I probably have thirty-five different opinions about all of them, not all of which I will share on your air. But <laughs> right. listen, I think I think two things, right? I think number one, uh, broadcasters are getting a little more understanding. Like this is the way baseball works. These are why teams are making decisions before this year. This is why guys are positioned in short right field. If I can't at least understand that, I can't explain the story to my viewers, which I think is true. The second thing is if they don't have an easy way to explain it with visual in five to eight seconds, then I haven't really done my job. Right. That's like half the point is being able to give something to them that says, hey, here's the context of this. And I can tell you, he's twice as good as it as, as he was last year or he's third best in the majors. Like that kind of context is what's important. And if you don't have that, you can't expect anybody to turn their TV show into an algebra class.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So um, I've been enjoying StatCast or through baseball savant data since you first put it up. Um and there's no sport like baseball for producing more data, and more useful data that anyone can enjoy. Um, but there's still data that is back there that we don't ever get to see. That I think is, in some sense, foundational for some of the metrics that you're producing. So well, I think one of the most popular ones is uh, is the outs above average, which is a great metric that it get, get you to get a sense of how many how much actual value a fielder is 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 producing for his team, which is something I've actually written academically about years ago before there really was good data. Yet um, Major League Baseball has never released that data for, for, to the public, that you can actually go ahead and, and do uh, an outfield, outs above average on your own. So I, I don't get the starting position of the, of the outfielder, I don't get the, the hang time, I don't get the actual locations. Um, is that ever going to come out, So uh, at least in partial amounts, like in NFL and the NBA have, have both released data?
2: Uh, sort of, I I don't know that I would compare it to the other leagues because I know in a lot of sense, there's much more baseball data you can access than they have available, but you're right. There are things that are not available at, at the end of the day, the league is owned by the 30 teams. Right. And my understanding is the teams are happy that a lot of stuff is out there, but they don't want every last thing to be out there because they think it gives them a competitive advantage, you know, or they, they want to be able to make sure they're doing stuff that other teams aren't. So as far as will, all of the data set ever come out, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I think people think me and, and Tom Tango that we like make all these decisions because we're the most public facing. Uh, <laughs> but we we try to push out as much as we possibly can while keeping our jobs. At the end of the day, I guess is the best way to put it.
1: <laughs> Mike, do other do you talk to other leagues? Do they call you? On you guys have been working with data and more data than in pretty much any other sport, and you have really gotten effective at how you present it. Other leagues grapple with this. And they have a lot of issues. They've got to work with the broadcasters. They've got team constraints, all that stuff. But are are broadcast organizations from other sports trying to talk to you all about how you're doing it and what you've learned?
2: A little bit. Uh, We've had some meetings in the past. Uh, A couple of our data science people in the last two years or so have uh, left to go work for the NBA. And I think part of the appeal there is it's a little more the ground floor there. You know, a lot of the work here has already been done. That's a little more starting at the ground floor. So can I say I've talked to anyone from the NFL or the NHL? No, but we we know for sure that they've been watching what we're doing because in a, a lot of sense, they're 5, 10, 15 years behind, depending on what sport, what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's fun to watch these things evolve. Like, you know, this is, this is a week where we should all be watching some golf. We'll talk about the British Open, talk about it, talk about it the first half of the show. But um, they've gotten better, and, they, and it varies by, you know, what channel's carrying it. But it's interesting to see these sports evolve and what they present. Can you give us – do you have an example of something you've learned or MLB has learned about presenting data on broadcast or something you think you're a lot better at than you used to be? of tell give us a give us a view from your experience on how because we're all in the data visualization business in some sense you're just doing it for millions of people.
2: Yeah, I, I think first thing I would think of so it was in 2018, ESPN let us do a special Statcast show. Right, we did. Uh, playoff game, Cubs and Rockies from Wrigley Field. So myself, Eduardo Perez, Jason Bonetti, and it was kind of a a test almost like, hey, will this work? Like, Can you actually do this for three and a half hours? And the game went extra innings, excuse me. And it was a huge success, right? We loved that. We learned a, a whole lot from that. And what I've learned since then, it's been almost five years since then, is that most of what we did at the time is just now on the mainstream broadcast, right? I think a lot of it is just proving it out. You don't need to do a special show people want to see what's out there what's being used and i also think the visuals have gotten a lot better like you can only go so far with numbers and in different ways to show numbers Um, Mm -hmm. but you you know the stack s 3d product if you're not familiar with it it essentially takes the real world and makes it look like a video game so there's joint tracking now right like you can track the player's legs and limbs and all this kind of stuff and what that means is you can put a virtual camera anywhere so if you want to put a camera you know on the pitcher's mound, behind the pitcher's mound, you can do that. Uh, David Adler, who works with me, actually had a really cool video he put out the other day. So Ellie De La Cruz uh, for the Reds had a throw of like 98 miles an hour or whatever yeah, it was, just yeah, like the hardest track assist. And so he yeah. put the virtual camera at first base. And he's like, here's what it looks like with that laser beam coming at you, which I thought was super cool. It's It looks like video games. Kids love that. You don't even really need numbers if you don't want to to consume that and enjoy it. And that's really the trick, right? Make it entertaining as well as educating.
1: Uh, Cool. Okay. Very cool. Well, speaking of entertaining and educating, let's talk about some of the stuff you put up recently. One that caught my eye in particular was the most valuable outfield throwing arms in baseball. And I'll be honest, I didn't get past Acuna, who you guys put at the top of the list. But the reason I didn't is because I was so – Pleased with the way you guys do these calculations, this short of it. And and let me just let me tell the guys, in case they haven't read it, they may know this. And this audience, this is exactly what you're talking about. Outs of outs above average, because I think that's basically what they do here. But the beautiful thing is it's not just throwing guys out, which is, you know, here's an opportunity to throw them out or not. Does the guy how does he do versus expectation? Given where he is, where the runner is, how fast the runner is, all of that stuff, you can calculate an expected chance of throwing this guy out, and you can ask, you know, does he do better or worse than average? That's only part of the story in baseball, of course, because some they're not going to run on guys with good arms, and they're going to run more on guys with weak arms. And so, does the guy run? Is there even an opportunity to throw him out? And the reason this jumps out to me is because so much of our advances in stats are all about figuring out the expectation in a particular circumstance. We're getting really good at that. And then we can calculate these residuals. But what we're not yet good at is what about the player's impact on those circumstances? How does the player change those expectations? And what you're saying is Acuna has fewer opportunities to throw these guys out. And that alone should be to his credit because they're not running on him. And then you do this brilliant thing at the end of the article, at the end of the Acuna section where you take two plays that are identically situated, same height of ball, location of outfielder, similar speed of the runners on on third. And in one case, Acuna is out there catching the ball. In another case, somebody with less of an arm is. And, of course, the guy with the lesser arm gets run on, and the Acuna, the guy on the Acuna game is just sitting tight at third not running on him. I just think that's a long rave about I just love the analysis that you did.
2: Oh, thank you for saying that. Um, You know, Tom Tango, a guy, did most of the actual math work there. But it's cool when you can quantify respect almost in such a way. Like, these are really baseball-y things. You know, you're quantifying the, the little facets of the game in some way and i should say we do two different kinds of stats right one kind of metric we do is we're we're doing something brand new because no one's ever had that kind of data before the other kind of metric we do is we're taking a, an older idea and just trying to apply it with the data that we have so this is the latter case this is not the first metric to ever try to account for oh he didn't get run on like that that is an idea that's been around for some time What what's different about this is we have the positioning data right we know who the players are so we can say he had you know 200 feet to throw out this guy who's 80th percentile in speed and this guy has a 40th percentile arm or whatever the actual numbers might be based yeah. on all those inputs. The expectation here is he's safe 40 percent of the time, you know, and in this case he was out or he was not out. And then you can, you know, take the other half of that. And that's how it all adds up to these runs. So while this isn't necessarily a new idea in the way that some of our other things are, it uh, it uh takes in the data that's, you know, a little more pinpoint. And precise. And while you never want to like judge the success of a metric by does it does the leaderboard match with what I think it should be, when you have Acuna at the top and like Christian Yelich at the bottom, who's notorious
1: for having a weak arm, it's like okay, I think there's some signal here. That's a good start. <laughs> right. Well, just to just to keep our 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 uh, honor our our forebears, Bill James, I think his famous quote is a good a good stat should surprise you twenty percent of the time. So you, you want that validation in, in most cases. Adi.
3: Yeah, I made that point with my students today. If, if your new stat doesn't have the obvious the obvious people at the top or near it and the obvious people at the bottom or near it, there's a problem. Um, I remember doing something like this years ago with catchers throwing arms. And what, what ended up happening is that the catchers that provided the most value were the ones where there was the biggest mismatch between their actual ability and their perceived ability. Yep. They threw out the most runners. And I wonder if there's something that obser- something you can observe with the, with the outfielders where the ones who are the most valuable are the ones that, um, that end up being run on just too much and they end up throwing them out, or that just doesn't happen uh, and, uh, and that you get more value out of just keeping them from running. I wonder what, what the balance works out.
2: Well, what's nice is you can quantify both, right? So there was a year a couple years ago, I want to say 2018 maybe, where Kyle Schwarber, who is not a very highly regarded defensive outfielder, had this weird year where he was just piling up all this arm value and it made him look like he was a good defender overall. And if you went back and looked at it, it's just like everybody was running on him and he was getting a lot of assists because everybody was trying to. And in the years since, nobody has tried, you know, he's not getting those assists, but he's still not causing the respective guys not running on him. uh, And the numbers aren't there. You know, so you can get there in both ways, but it's hard to do that, what he did for more than a year at a time, I think.
1: I think it's such a great example of you just, you, you, you get the descriptive data down and then you can start stacking interesting analyses on top of it. So you go to respect and now we can go to decision-making beyond that, um, just layer on layer, good, good fun.
0: But a natural implication of this also might be that um, people with less history might also have more of an opportunity to have value because, you know, when there's uncertainty, people are going to run more. And so I just, you know, have you looked at the results as a function of, let's say, number of opportunities or time in the league, number of games played, et cetera?
2: That that is a great question. I have not looked at it in that way. My guess, and again, I haven't looked into it, is that there wouldn't be much there. And the reason for that is, Teams have so much data at the minor league level now. No one comes up and is a total surprise. And also, throwing arm is not something you need to see a lot of, right? Like, if you want to get to a guy's batting average and say, I rely on this, you need to see a couple hundred plate appearances. I don't need to see that many throws to say, wow, that guy threw 100 miles an hour. That's that's right. amazing. That's really cool. Pair that right. with the fact that everybody's got scouting reports from the minors. I'm like, my guess is they know everything about these guys before they come up.
1: Before we let you go, what else can you say about Ellie de la Cruz? You just, you just referred to his having this fastest assist, infield assist recorded yet. I mean, it's just one superlative after another. It's like the guy was made in a lab or something. Any insights from you about Deila? He's just, he's one of the great stories of the year. Anything on the way out about one of our new favorite players?
2: I mean, I, I could sit here and recite all the superlatives, you know, the fastest this and the most that, and it's, it's, it's all true, right? Like you look at the new base running metric we have, he rates fantastically in it. The the thing that we don't quantify and I'm probably will never quantify it, That has impressed me the most is his baseball IQ. You probably saw the clip where he stole second and stole third. And then also stole home because the pitcher wasn't paying attention. And it's like, this guy's been in the league for like three weeks. You know, who, who does that? That was super cool. And I, while I love that he exists in the StatCast era and we can say all these amazing things about his skills, I worry a little bit about reducing him to just look at his arm and look at his legs because he looks like he's going to be a superstar all the way around.
1: Yeah. You know, that reminds me, I forget what it was exactly, but Manny Machado, I think the year he came up, he came up late in the season, if I remember correctly, and he's like 18, 19 years old, playing third, I believe. And he did some clever, you know, trick somebody play. And, and he, in this case, he had been in the league for like less than three weeks, an 18-year-older, and he's like fooling somebody. It's one of these, these guys who are truly that much better than everyone else. It's one of these men among boys, even at the early age, they just have a quietness about them on the field that allows them to see things and do things other people aren't doing.
2: I think that's right. And uh, I guess I'll take this opportunity to be a mild buzz kill here. He can hit the ball as hard as he wants. He needs to get it off the ground. His ground ball rate is way too high. Hit it in the air. He'll be a monster star. But we've seen guys hit the ball hard into the ground. We've seen like Eric Hosmer used to do that all the time. It doesn't work out. That's the one thing I want to see from
1: him. Well, it does feel like people learn how to tweak their games these days better than ever before. You need a new swing? We can get you a new swing. At least that's what technology promises. Mike, we got to let you go. Thanks for the time, man. Greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Mike Petriello, writer and stats analyst at MLB.com. You can find his work up there. Lots of good work from him. First time guest here. I'm sure we'll have him back. That has been Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM. We do it every week. For the whole crew here, Eric Bradlow and Audi Weiner, who've been with me from the beginning, Shane Jensen in absentia, he'll be back next week. Thank you guys for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports.